Okay, COVID doing work. Two four on my shirt. He the greatest on the court, and I'm the greatest on the verse. Going for the fourth ring like it was his first. Gotta get the gleam. Do it for Kareem. Two four so nice, my flow so mean. Catch me at the game, sitting next to Goldstein. Kobe Bryant, Nike. Welcome back to another episode of Natural Weekly Sports Pod, man. It's been a minute, but you know. You hear the clarity in the voice, meaning that we're doing this shit in person again, and there's nobody else I would rather do a podcast with in person than my boy of all of the ball over here, and you know, we're whipping up some NFL content here, so we're not going to have anybody else with us enjoy this NFL podcast, and other than my boy Tanner. Tanner, thank you so much again for joining us on Not Your Weekly Sports Pod, Mike G. Hey, right on, boys. I'm excited for it. Always love talking talking shop with you guys, man. That's what we're here for. Of all of the ball, same day, different place. <laughs> You know, we have a different version of that. I feel like every time over the last 15 months we've done this podcast. Cheers to over a year of Not Your Weekly Sports Pod, bro. And Tanner, cheers to coming back after having a great conversation about where Deshaun Watson ranks in the pantheon of NFL quarterbacks, how that conversation has aged so gracefully. Oh, my goodness. Yes. (laughs) Go from there to where we are, guys. This This is beautiful. Yet the Texans still look miserable more than anything else. Man, so to piggyback off that and talking about football to begin with, guys, I kind of want to get back to the roots of what we started this podcast about when we first started, you know, everything with this vision that me and you had, Vala. And it was trying to get into those deep diving topics that we really want to get into and understand a little more about the philosophy and economics of sports more than anything else, rather than the actual surface level content. So because of that, I kind of want to ask you guys about something that's really blown my mind over the past couple of years. Um, And, you know, more importantly, I think I'm seeing it now really exacerbated with COVID. And that's really, you know, why are ratings for the NFL so high right now even though we're in the middle of a pandemic and in the, you know, in the freaking mist of the golden era of content, why does the NFL, in your opinion, end up still being so fucking popular? So before I ask my piece of trivia, I kind of just want to gauge y'all's opinion on that high level question and, you know, kind of an answer as well. So Paul, I'll start with you, my G. You know, there, there's a lot of layers to kind of peel back, like we talked about before the podcast, social, cultural, historic right? Sports reasons. Um, but, you know, football's always been king and it dominates all the other sports when you look at the numbers across the board, right? The Super Bowl in 2021, 96.4 million viewers. The MLB World Series, which our beloved Astros uh, cheated in again, if you listen to any other fan base, that is, averaged 11.75 million viewers per game and the NBA is only about 12 million on average. So football is still king and like you said man, in the context of having unlimited access to premier content, even movies on release, it still reigns supreme and the question that you're asking me, I I really don't know the answer to, but it'll be fun to speculate as we go across these different layers. Yeah, dude, I, I couldn't agree more with you, man. I'm excited for this. And yeah, Tanner, I really want to gauge your opinion as well, bro. On a high level, what do you think is the rationale behind this? Uh, Vala hit on it right away that there is no, as much as what I'm trying to speak to on a high level, I don't think you can condense this into a three you know, sentence elevator pitch to why football is still king, has been king. And for all intents and purposes, it looks like it's strengthening that position as yeah. we move forward with some of these contracts that have been handed out from the networks to the leagues. Man, it, it ties into, I think, America, and we're not going to yeah. die into that right away, and a lot of other tailwinds that the sport has. And then you combined it with the product, 
involving and adapting, maybe taking a cue from the college world and opening up a little bit and becoming more of an entertainment product. So I think the tailwinds behind the NFL and really the college football game now are stronger than ever. And I'm sure we'll hit on why or what's creating those tailwinds. But simply, I just think the king stays king. Hey, man, fair enough. Nothing changes, man. So with that that you guys just stated, you know, I'm going to throw a little piece of quick trivia on, on you guys. Nothing too difficult or anything like that. So we keep gauging at the popularity of the NFL. And to this day, I kind of just want to ask you all this. Out of the top 25 most watched telecasts this year, how many of those top 25 are NFL games? Oof. Oof. And we've only had the NFL season for four months, and we're talking all of 2021? Oh, yeah, we're talking tw- out of 25, how many of those top 25 telecasts are NFL games? I'll take a shot. I'm going to go with 11. I'll say 21. 23 oh, out of wow. 25 of the top telecasts in America have been NFL games. We have had the Super Bowl, both championship games, both divisional playoff games make up the top five, by the way. Bro, even uh, the NBA, like the NFL straight up said, screw you, NBA, right? Like Thursday night football, the, the weakest of the primetime NFL games. The NBA said, we're not doing TNT on Thursday nights okay, anymore. Wild. Even the Thursday night football games would draw NBA viewers away. And that just speaks to, like you said, Tanner, you know, if you're going <laughs> to, what was the line from The Wire that Omar said? If you're going to come after the king, you best not miss. Oh, yeah. Ooh, R.I.P. <laughs> then, R.I.P. Yeah. Bro, let's just, let's just fucking get into it then, dude. Wow. Like, I, I really, I, I want to gauge it. Before we get into the negatives and finding out all that, let's just get into the fucking positives. I and mean, I think we're all hyped. Like, even though the Texans are asked this year, we're still some, we're still talking about fucking football on, on, a, on a goddamn podcast over here where we have the Astros and Rockets available too to talk about. Why? Like, you know, what's, why are they so popular? Like, I really, you know, off the top of your head, like, I know you said, uh, you said, Tanner, that it was pretty much ingrained in America. Talk about, like, tell me, like, why, in your opinion, is the king still the king? Well, let's look at it at the very ground level. And uh, Little League football teams, pure numbers and scale helps them. So they have this organic customer acquisition model that they've partnered up with way better in the NBA mm-hmm. and way better in baseball, going all the way down to Little League football teams, middle school, high school. And they're essentially building a loyal cult following one just off that and then two what the nfl has done better than the nba particularly and this is where the nba has fallen aside is the nfl for right or for wrong has constantly taken actions to guarantee that it's still a franchise driven model rather than Mm -hmm. a player driven model and a franchise driven model i think builds a deeper loyalty to a product because now you have a a sense of ownership. This is the Houston Texans. I'm from Houston. They are my team rather than, well, I'm a Deshaun fan, wherever he goes, I'm a fan of maybe it's because it's not as personal. There's helmets, there's intentional, you know, not, I'm not going to say dehumanization because that'd be a ridiculous statement there, but let's call it. There's a buffer that almost feels like it's by design to make sure that the machine is way more powerful than any couple individual parts. And I think they've done that better than anybody else. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more with you from that factor of like, I think whenever we think of, you know, it's crazy, right? Like Tom Brady just left the new England Patriots and went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yet 
for some reason, we're still making the New England Patriots synonymous with Bill Belichick and that entire organization rather than Tom Brady, even though I think collectively we could say he's the greatest football player that we've ever seen in our generation, yet we're not talking about him to that stature. Yet when I equate that to when Jordan decided to play for the Wizards rather than the Bulls, it felt like a paradigm shift or when LeBron decided to leave South Beach, or sorry, leave Cleveland for South Beach, it seemed like a paradigm shift, but here it just seems more the notation of this is just business as usual. This is still the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization that Tom Brady is going to, and the organization of the New England Patriots has just decided to do the same exact thing with another quarterback out of Alabama. Like, what the fuck is going on with that? Think about the Rockets just here in Houston. How many on you know Rockets Twitter, how many Harden fans became Nets fans the yeah. second he left Houston? These are Houston natives that I follow on Twitter are like fans of the Nets now. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head on that. And Tanner, to your point about the customer acquisition, bro, well said. I, I wonder what it is. You know, growing up playing basketball at an early age, you know, parents never really followed the teams. They seldom went on road trips. They didn't come to practice, despite the frequency that you play basketball games. So I wonder if there's a human element of it in which your family is seeing you prepare for your big day. They're, they're there to witness the process, and then once a week, boom, they're there for your big day, that, that hard work all manifesting itself on the field, and it's more of a family process than other sports. I, I don't know how true no, that so is. But. I'm good. No, no I want to dive, dive a little bit deeper into this, right? Because I think this brings me up to like a bigger point of like um, the thing about f- the NFL, which is so unique in my opinion, is the fact that it's so popular and so valued, like so highly valued, yet its target demographic is only in one fucking country, right? This isn't a worldwide product. You're not going to see the NFL being played in China. You're not going to be seeing American football being played in, you know, a high level in Canada or in anywhere in the EU. But you're seeing this in America and this, you know, this sport is solely an American sport, right? Like the fucking Dallas Cowboys are a billion dollar franchise by only literally marketing themselves to Americans. And I kind of want to, you know, understand like what's it from an American cultural standpoint that makes football so ubiquitous with what the country essentially stands for? Is it that Friday night lights aspect of what you just went to, Vala, in which there's a week of preparation involved in the suburban family is looking forward to these practices. There's, you know there's ownership within the city. Like the sheriff knows the fucking head coach. You're playing these small town games. Is it the communal aspect of, of football that's bringing it together that causes these high values? Or, you know, I kind of really just want to gauge from that perspective uh, from an American side for what, what you think of that? Well, the communal is extremely important. Football, the barrier to entry to even play football is so much less than hoops or even being good at baseball, right? What do I mean by that is there is an inherent belief that you can just put your boots on and go to work and play hard and you can play football. So the person who realizes they have no access ever to play high-level basketball or baseball because those are very skilled-type games Mm -hmm. looks at football as one of these bastions in American society, whatever you want to call it, where if you work hard and you do your role, you can have a amount of success. And I think that's very attractive to sort of the American heartland and suburban communities that are comprised of middle-class people who feel like they've worked their way into that role. So they almost see a reflection of how they've gotten there in this sport. And then that incentivizes them to get involved with that sport and have their kid be involved in it because there's a belief that football helps you become, you know, a man or whatever you want to put it. You learn discipline. There's a lot of different aspects. And I think, I haven't heard people talk about baseball in that sense, right. really. Like, I, I, I haven't heard it. Maybe that's my own little bias that I haven't heard it. But they've done a great job in marketing themselves as almost a 
character character building vehicle. Yeah, and I would I would agree with that to to a very long standpoint because you know to your point right like we talk about the heartland of America you don't see you know there's there's no team in Iowa right there's no fucking team in Nebraska there's no team in you know like like the Chiefs at least in the middle of a goddamn America but you look at teams like that the Green Bay Packers right like a lot of these white collar I guess hardworking quote unquote is what we put it teams that are so overvalued and that are associated with the NFL because I, I look back right and I'm trying to think like these teams that you just mentioned here Tanner let's look at teams that are in the Midwest and look at the valuations of these teams relative to other you know sports I'm looking at for example the Kansas City Chiefs the Green Bay Packers let's throw in the Minnesota Vikings if you really if you, if you really want to do that as well um and just those three teams alone, relative, there's no NBA team I could think of that's in fucking Green Bay, Wisconsin, or in Kansas City, or even in St. Louis, for crying out loud, either. Mm-hmm. The only other teams we can think of from like a baseball perspective, okay, you have the St. Louis Cardinals, you have the Milwaukee Brewers, and you have the Kansas City Royals. And it's like, dude, those those teams hold nothing in weight to the Kansas City Chiefs alone, or the Green Bay Packers. The Chiefs could probably hunt for the chiefs could liquidate the chiefs and probably buy all three of those. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> you know easily, easily. And, and that's kind of what I, I really don't understand. And I still want to understand, but it's like, we talk about, we see the negatives associated with football. And I think the internet's done a great job in, you know, disposing a lot of these truths that we talked about, you know, but it wasn't expect, accepted a lot in society initially. But now that, that information is out there about CTE, about what it could possibly entail for the future. You know, why is this still being this important and still this drawn into is kind of where I'm trying to struggle to understand the popularity not dropping, yet it's growing. Well, I think you want to talk about it, so I'm going to let you go. Bro. There, there's got to be a sense of identity that's coupled to it, right? And we'll get into identity in a little bit here as we unpackage this more, but think about all the all the relevant research over the last 15 years that's come out about CTEs in football. Boston University studies with deceased players' brains and how overwhelmingly, I think like the last time I I looked at their numbers, it was like 55 out of the 56 brains donated to them from former football players showed some sign of CTE, chronic CTE in these brains. Yet, when you bring this up to a lot of the football community... I don't know if I'm wrong in saying this, but I'm going to go on a limb here and say the majority of the football community, there's a defensive reaction to them that you see. And it's almost, I I feel like it's almost a defensive reaction to you're taking my identity away. This is anti-American of you to come at me with this information, even though objectively looking at it, you know, it's relevant information and information that is served to better human lives. Yeah. Yeah. No. So you hit it perfectly. It's an identity attack. So think about this. Really, the only sport you'll ever hear people say we're going to war is in football. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a sort of warrior thought process behind it. There's almost like glory and death, if that makes sense. So a lot of these guys that have made it to the NFL or in high level players in their mind, that is their identity. And some of these guys, I forgot who it was somebody on the jets. It might've been Jamal Adams or a safety literally comes out and says, I'm willing to die on the football field pretty much. And these are crazy statements. He said it with a completely sober face. So I think you have this notion of, if I go, it's a glorious manner. <laughs> Seriously, that's built in to a lot of these guys. And then two, there is an understanding within, if you play football, even at the collegiate level, you understand what's going to happen to your body. So there is a level of, hey, yes, we know this shit is not good for us. This not this is not good for my body, my brain, any aspect of my health. But I know that. And I'm making this conscious choice to say, fuck it. I'm going to push the chips in. 
with the end game of financial riches for a lot of these guys. And it's one of the avenues that they can. A guy out of Florida can make it to the NFL where if you're going to go try to be an NBA hooper, you sort of got to be preordained from, you know, from whoever your maker is to be six, five, six, six, have that just blessed level athleticism where you have a handful of six foot five, 10, five, 11 guys who in their mind can just outwork their way into the league. Tanner, as a former college football player, you think that's the overwhelming majority of college football players understanding is that what they're doing is going to have long-term damage to their brains because a lot of these HBO pieces that real real sports have done will go and interview former hockey players, former NBA, former NFL players that have really horrid, you know, mental conditions and, you know, all the symptoms that we've addressed and outlined in previous podcasts that are associated with CTE. And they'll deny, you know, any of the effects being from football, or at least they'll say they would go back and do it again 100%. Well, that's sort of... Yes, today. Let me answer your question first. Today, I think college players now know because it's 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 out there. And the information's out there. It's it's credible sources are backing this up. Former Hall of Fame type players are putting their names on. There, there are some that come out and say, "Yes, this this fucked my head up." So I think now, yes, fifteen years ago, ten years ago, it, it was one of those things like, "Yeah, yeah, it might happen," but you know, it's sort of a myth. They're attacking the game, right? They're attacking the game. And sort of what you just hit on, man, they'll interview these guys that are in their 50s and there'll still be some that credibly deny football having any effect on that when it's obvious that it is and they know that it is. So the, the you know, almost zealot-like defense of the game, I think, speaks in a weird roundabout way to just how strong the game is and it's got a grip on America that this is truly something they're willing to rot away for to protect the sanctity of this game they felt like brought about you know where they are in life now it's just a fascinating dynamic that you don't see very often like hey if i work on a rig an oil rig and i'm breathing in fumes and 20 years later they ask me well why are your lungs fucked up goddamn rig i was working yeah. on every single day they're not just gonna hold that i'm gonna do a class action lawsuit and try to make a billion dollars with the, the guys working this you know land skip that's happened a little bit in football, but for every time that happens, there's also a group of guys that are like, yeah, fuck that guy for suing the league. He's yeah. bringing bad pub on us. Well, that's kind of the thing that really blew me out of the, the ground when it came to football, right? Was the fact of like, when we look at, you know, we look at business, when we look at like just diseases in general, right? If there's any one negative piece of publicity that ends up coming out, usually to the extent of what we see with the NFL, you're canceled, you're done, right? But the NFL, I think, has like, not even just survive, but thrive in that environment. Like, for example, let's look at like mesothelioma, for example, we always talk about, right? Like you saw that shit before, like whenever you were, you were working with, you know, you're working with items that would give you asbestos or mesothelioma, that shit's gone now. Like it's, we don't, you will not see that in open society anymore because the debts that were attributed to that and pretty much what's occurred here. Oil rigging, like you just mentioned, right? That used to be one of the most popular jobs for, uh, for your skilled trades ever is to learn how to be on a rig. But after you see the debts associated with, with, with the OSHA debts that you have right now, you see the, you know, the environmental spills that you see as well. You just, you don't see, uh, you know, very skilled tradesmen out of college when it goes to the oil rigs anymore rather than do something else. Yet we, we've seen this with the NFL time and time again, right? We've seen the negative, uh, the negative publicity associated with the NFL with CTE, with the lack of health care for retired players available afterwards. Yet not only is the NFL sustaining its, you know, 
its viewership, dude, it's growing. It's growing at a five to six percent yield. What some of these stocks want to see on fucking corporate America every year. The NFL has been doing that over the past five, six years on top of negative publicity. So that's what I'm trying to understand is like, you know, we're, we're talking as 20 something year olds who in the age of the Internet are being able to see what this can do long term. And my question to you guys is, do you see this long term progression of growth being sustainable for the NFL for the next 10 to 15 years amidst everything that we know? Or do you see there's some, you know, being some sort of tr- uh, like, you know, tip off over here, some sort of pike right we see with this as well? I, I want to answer your question. But can I ask you a question? For first? sure. For sure. You remember with uh, the Rockets last year, how Daryl Morey stood up for the. What was it the Wuhan protests mm-hmm. overseas? Yeah, and how the NBA saw major losses in their revenues that year, which led to a decrease in the salary cap projections yep. and had real effects on business. Right? Do you think if an NFL owner came out and tweeted, "I support Wuhan," the same thing would happen to the NFL? No, he'd be forced to sell sell his franchise right then and there, in my opinion. But no, yeah, I, I don't think the, the NFL wouldn't take a hit like that, right? Mm-hmm. Where no, it no. affects their bottom line and their player salaries. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't. Well, just how they they don't really depend on uh, international viewership. I mean, they they have such a dominance here that that's part of the allure, I think, of the of the NFL is that they almost feel fucking bulletproof at this point. They've dodged every possible pitfall you could have. I mean, they've had opportunities in the last four or five years to really fuck the bag up one way or the other, regardless of the, uh, the, the side of the issues you stood on. They had to manage that delicately because, uh, you know, Republicans buy sneakers too. Right. Yeah. Like, and that makes up probably the majority of their base of viewership. But at the same time, you're dealing with social issues that affect your actual employees, (laughs) you know, your, your, your team players. And I think they just have managed everything really well and they rolled through COVID better than any of other leagues i mean the nba right had an altered league the the mlb had an altered league hockey did the nfl didn't alter shit they yeah. what they removed two preseason games and just said fuck it let's go boys yeah. they had people in the stands you know the, the super bowl was claiming they had 30 percent. that thing no, was fucking bullshit. full yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i i think those are i think those are great points and it's like i think that kind of brings me back to like again I think the thing with American football or the NFL in particular has to just go with the culture that is associated with this country. And I think this brings me to my next point of like, what's more culturally relevant to America than college football, right? Than fucking tailgates, than that cultural aspect of nobody may enjoy sports, but dude, I know for a fact, my wife who hates sports in general, she'll show up to a tailgate and all of her other little sorority sisters too that have not watched any fucking football, but they'll come to a tailgate. Little five-year-old Jimmy who's probably never done anything, you know, to that extent. He'll remember his fucking tailgate at this time as well. So I kind of just want to understand your, your your understanding of, like, do you guys think tailgates and these events have a lot to do with retaining that viewership and that that colloquialism of, of the NFL? And I kind of just want to get a fun a tailgate story from you guys as well to make this a little lighter. I think it absolutely does. So you hit on community. Well, what is more community building than you're in college, you're 19 and you're 20, and you're everybody you know in all the classes you see, y'all are all out partying for the games. And all the parents are coming back down because they're paying for little Johnny or little <laughs> Susie's tuition, and they're partying from the games. And it extends in it, – it bypasses partisan lines, racial lines, all of that because – Everybody plays football when they're young in certain areas of the country. Like everybody does. You could go look at Travis. I mean, it was a, it was literally the UN on the football team, and that's not <laughs> what you see. Seriously, in other sports, you don't see that. You yeah. don't see that in hoops. You don't see that. Maybe because of the barrier of entry to become a varsity level hooper, even a high school level hooper at 
bigger, more diverse cities that make up our population centers. And in baseball, it's, it's sort of one little vertical that plays baseball, but football is everything. It's all over the place. And again, the customer acquisition model is fantastic and they've made it better by having these tailgates and things of that nature. And it just increases it increases the velocity because all you have to do when you're 19 is go to one badass tailgate, have a hell of a time. You know, you, you, know, you see your first pair of boobies ever when you're 18 <laughs> at A&M or some shit and you're fucking in, you're in. And then they, they beat Prairie View. You don't care. You're in. <laughs> well said, no, I, I can't, I can't disagree with any of that as well. And it's really just, it's surprising to me, bro, that that's all it takes. You know, it's just like that one event and it's not even related to football. It's just the event that's associated with football and you're essentially there. Vol, I want to get your opinion on this too, bro. Like what are, what's your opinion about like the, the, the tailgates and stuff like that, that you never would think would bring in viewership actually causing some of these issues too. You know, it's, it's funny. The, all the major networks, CBS, Fox, NBC, when all these networks came together and bought their contracts with the NFL for like, I think the NFL paid like a hundred billion dollars something stupid it, to renew all these contracts. They actually, the studio exec said one of the things that drew viewers to football games on TV, if we're going to talk about whether or not the NFL can sustain these ratings over the next 15 years, was how dramatic these camera shots were of a football game, panning out to a full stadium of tens of thousands of people, right? Go, you know, the panning out over the tailgate scene of a Texans game as, uh, you know, Fox or PBS is getting ready to broadcast the game, zooming in on those fans who have like trash cans and ba paper bags over their heads because they've been Texans fans for the last 21 years. That's a big part of football. And the game day event aspect of it, the fact that it's a once a week, you're prepping all week, you're listening to sports talk. 610, you know, Monday through Friday because they only talk football and they don't know a goddamn thing about any other sport. You know, it's a it's a momentous event that I think brings everyone together and college football. I mean, most of the guys that I know, most of the older gents that I know that watch college football for the most part don't know a lot about those teams. They they're tied to the school in some way, but what a great excuse to day drink on your Saturday, get away from your wife and your kids. And have a kickback with the boys. It really, the game day element of it, I think, is more important to football than any other sport that you can see. And I think frequency has a lot to do with that. The once a week element to it, uh, you know, I think is a a weakness that the NFL and the or rather the NBA has is you kind of get exhausted with an 82 game regular season. Same with the MLB. And so football being able to maintain our focus for a once a week period where we're building up these little short clips and these short talks throughout the week to prep us for that once a week exam, I think makes it advantageous from a streaming and from an entertainment platform going forward. So let me let me piggyback on that because that was going to be my next thing and when I really want to gauge both y'all's opinions. Do you think that 16 game season relative to what we see with other sports, do you think that helps the NFL or do you think that's kind of like an opportunity where they can improve on that? Because we just saw the addition of two more regular season games this year as well. So I kind of just want to gauge y'all's opinion on that. Do you think that's a benefit or is that a detriment to the success of the NFL? I think it's a huge benefit. Okay. Vala hit on it. You can take two 500 football teams in December and they're going to build up so much to that game locally on the sports talk shows, nationally on the shows, that Sunday morning, even if you're removed from that team, you're like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to watch this game. It's a big game in your mind. It's the game. It's a big game. So that's a huge benefit for them. With that said, I'm going to play devil's advocate. 
to myself and sort of your point here, which has really shown to me that football is the king and will always be the king. They've creeped out of their little Sunday afternoon window. Like you said, now they got games on Thursday nights. Uh, that was a new deal. And they, you know what? They've taken over Thursday night. That wasn't their deal. They've taken over Thursday night. College has games three or four nights a week. And I bet you you can go see a Mac game and it draws almost like an NBA Saturday game because people just can't get enough of it. And it sort of goes against the scarcity of it creating this environment. So I don't know. I'm talking out of both sides of the mouth, but it's impossible to find an answer when they've just continued to give us more exposure, yet they keep on gaining momentum. So it's like, okay, Tanner, is this a scarcity issue? Or are we just so addicted conceptually to football and the entire thought of it that they could feed us seven nights a week and it would literally just take over ownership of the dial in America? What? How much does the NFL's, you know, access to these streaming platforms and how they've marketed themselves to new media help with that. I mean, I feel like there's just opening YouTube and going through the sports section of YouTube. There's so many more clips. There's so much more volume of NFL talk show guys, of NFL clips, of reviews. Sure, you've got the full game highlights of the NBA games every single night, an hour after or minutes after the game finishes. But it seems like in terms of volume and variety of content, the NFL reigns supreme there. And we've seen, you know, you open the Amazon streaming app today, nine times out of ten on that front page at the top left of your screen, they're showing a couple football players in the game of the week. So I want to know how much does that play a role in it? And the NBA, I mean, what avenue do they have? Really, it's ESPN Plus. Yeah. And if you have a TNT on a cable contract, which how many millennials and Gen Z people have that? No. And I think that's where I was going to get to with that next point. I think that to your point, which you're talking about, Tanner, about how they have, you know, Sunday night, Sunday, Saturday, essentially was college football on lockdown as well. Like the weekend's pretty much a monopoly as it comes to football. But I was going to say, I think in that in that sense as well like foot football in general is also hindered by the fact of having these so like these siloed contracts alone with these network television companies that you know millennials really don't care for right like you know i know like you know bob and you know jill from the 70s you know cbs abc nbc like that's the holy grail for them right like that's pretty much where content comes from and it's like i can't name any fucking show on abc or nbc or Fox that i watch like i would succession or you know game of thrones or anything of that nature as well so that kind of makes me think it's like the next step that we've talked about that we've seen like Netflix, Amazon and Hulu talk about as well. Hulu has live sports, right? Hulu wants to end up having the NFL. Amazon Prime has the NFL. Do you think we're going to get to this point? And I think it was, I, w- I want to say this was either in Business Insider or the Wall Street Journal. They talked about how it's going to just take one major streaming platform, whether it's Hulu, Netflix, uh, Prime, not yet, but it takes one of those two to say that we're going to take the NFL, create a contract with them solely for exclusive rights and have one day pertaining to Netflix football. So pretty much every Thursday, you're going to have Thursday night Netflix football, and that's only going to be available on Netflix. Do you think something like that would increase the overall viewership of the NFL as you allow now so many more people to have access to football right at their fingertips because of how many people have access to something like Netflix and Hulu to begin with? I, the streaming is inevitable. I don't know when because they just signed a massive 10 year deal. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I'm sure there's some contingencies. These networks aren't dumb that yep. probably cut off these avenues. Right. And of course you can always break contracts if the money's right. That feels inevitable. Do I think that's a net gain in viewership? I don't know because while I agree with you that 
you know, outside of all the different fucking Chicago garbage can <laughs> PD fire department shows on these big network channels, I don't watch them outside of sports. With that said, correct me if I'm wrong, most of NFL games are on basic access cable, right? So you don't have to have a cable package and you get, you know, CBS and you get Fox. So would it really be conducive to the NFL's own best interests to now make it more exclusive? I mean, that that contractual number would have to be gigantic for a streaming service to be able to, to pull that away from sort of a, you know, an old head and oligarch network. And is the streaming service going to see the return on that? Because how many people are actually buying Netflix to stream Thursday night football? I don't know. I guess if your favorite team's on them once a year and the, the addicts will be. But the Texans game is accessible to literally everybody in Houston who has a TV and an old school basic cable setup. They can watch the Texans. Mm -hmm. And is the power of viewership in continuing the momentum to be able to get these massive contracts because of the eyes and exposure, does that outweigh a one-off lucrative transactional contract to a Netflix or a Hulu? I don't know. I don't have that answer. I'm sure they do. They yeah. obviously do. But uh, I could. that's going to happen. I agree with your point. It's going to happen. Do I know if it's a net positive? I can't say that. That's fair. Well, do, you have, do you have an opinion on this by any chance? No, I, my knee-jerk reaction was to say yeah, but Tanner kind of broke it down in, in such a consumable way for me that yeah I, I don't know if it's a net positive right now who knows what these networks look like and people's access to cable or the way we consume media mm -hmm. in general is going to look like in 10 years I right. don't know well I don't know my whole my whole argument with that ends up becoming like you know this on the fact of still if you're trying to get the app like I don't know if you've seen but like CBS all access you have to pay for that to be able to get it right if you're trying to get access to Fox you have to pay for that too ABC same thing so it's like if you're not glued directly onto your butt watching a television somewhere you're still having to pay for it and that's kind of the main thing that I get at it's like if unless these old networks are going to try to completely change their business model to put all their infrastructure you know onto streaming rather than over the air it's like I don't know if that's going to be able to gauge the audience for for us right because it's like we look at the we look at the population of America. There, there's a lot of people that are old, but there are a lot more people in this country that are within the 20s and 30s that grew up with technology. And I just don't know from our perspective how much of a chance we want to give CBS. Like for example, right? If CBS wasn't available on TV just because by plugging in your fucking antenna, would you go out of your way to search out CBS or ABC? No, no. Yeah. Only because of the NFL games, but correct. No. That's the only reason why. So it just it it makes it to me just stink in the fact of and I compare this to I compare this a lot to what we're seeing with COVID with movies right now, right? Movies we're noticing they don't need the movie theater to be just as successful or even close to being as successful when you have all these over the air, you know, opportunities that you have through HBO Max, renting it right off the bat and everything. Now, the question becomes, do you increase the bottom line of Netflix to, you know, have a cost associated with playing the NFL or having the NFL, right? That could be another thing to be able to circumnavigate the the differences that you're ending up losing as a network television provider by having it for free. If you're Netflix, instead of 10 bucks, you want the NFL package, you're going to pay 17 instead. And I bet you 10 times out of 10, the person that has Netflix isn't as price sensitive to think that another $7 is going to keep me away from football. That's where my thought process comes down to. I don't know what's going to happen because I do think from the standpoint of if you increase the prices for a streaming network to like 8 to $9 per then the bottom line for the NFL is like, oh, fuck, let's keep getting more and more and more people and let's keep increasing prices, which I don't think will ever end. So I don't that's that's where kind of I'm thinking of from that perspective of the NFL increasing their their market share with millennials. I, I think one of the best things the NFL did, and this is very 
contradictory to the typical NFL ethos. I would say out of the well, baseball side. So let's right. move baseball side because they're clearly the farthest out on the on the curve to the right in terms of how they approach the game and adopting new policies. Right? They're very stagnant. The M- the NBA is known as sort of more of a cutting edge league, right? Yep. We're fluid. We're going to fit in with the younger generation. Yet the NFL leaned into the sports betting more than any of them. 100%. And they did it effectively because they saw where that's coming. And now they are clearly the king of the sports betting. An NFL yep. game, there's more action on a Sunday regular NFL week than there will be on the next five, you know, um, you know, um, NBA finals. Yeah. It's just that's just the way it is. So they've leaned into that between that and then fantasy. I mean, DraftKings was advertising on the NFL for five years. They've been partners. How many people do you know? I'm sure you all know multiple, so it's not really rhetorical, that don't know a damn thing about football but started playing <laughs> fantasy, and next thing you know, oh, yeah. they're watching football because their buddies all play fantasy. So they've just built the best model of getting people involved that I've ever seen. I mean, and yeah. they really have from a product standpoint. It's, it's like fucking Apple, man. It is. No, and I, that, kind of, that brings me to my next point. I know you're, you're chopping at the bit of all. I want to get to you on that of fantasy football, bro. Like... It's it's a cultural phenomenon, right? There's fucking TV show serials made off of it, you know, more than anything else. There's everybody and their mother plays fantasy football. You know, what's what's fantasy football meant to you? And I think what is it also meant to like the growing uh, the growing rate of what we see with the NFL as well, in your opinion? Such a such an easy way to keep in contact with old friends too, right? Yeah. Like you've got the the fantasy league with your boys from high school, your fraternity brothers, or your college roommate. Um, even <laughs> what I'm starting to notice that is a new thing in the last three to four years. Maybe y'all's experience is different from 10 years ago is bro. Like dudes, wives are in these fantasy football leagues. Now who didn't know anything who don't even probably know the starting quarterback for their home team before they got into fantasy football. And now they're putting a roster together, talking shit throughout the week, making roster moves and prepping yourself. I think just the model that the NFL has built And I don't think the NFL was the first one. I think fantasy sports started with baseball, if I'm not mistaken. But the NFL has hijacked it and have become the king in that department. And I think it's a huge part of of maintaining interest throughout the week for a football game. Like I mentioned before, the buildup to the big day on Sunday or Thursday or whatever it may be. Keeping fans engaged during that time is huge in retaining your viewers and keeping your numbers up the way they have. And fantasy football, I mean, what better way to incorporate that into media, you know, having the fantasy app on your phone, on your tablet, being a favorite on your laptop. What they've done is they've made it digestible for somebody who doesn't know much about the game. It's still digestible to them when they watch and they say, Oh, Dalvin cook ran for 35 yards. They don't all have, they don't have to understand what cover two is, or they don't have to understand intricacies of protections to want to watch the game. They just have this player now and they can tangibly see when he does good because he gets yards or he gets a catch. And I know that's the same with other sports, you know, basketball. If you're watching him, it's you're watching that player try to hoop or, you know, get buckets, rebounds for your fantasy team. But the NFL has done it in a manner that has created so much more buy-in across non. I don't know too many non NBA fans that play NBA fantasy, right? I know a shit ton of non NFL fans that couldn't tell me the last three Super Bowl winners that play NFL fantasy and have slowly creeped into watching a game here or there because they at least want to be able to talk proper shit in their group text. And that's something that is fascinating. There's no, there's no, there's no Joe that never watches an Astros game all year playing MLB fantasy, right? Maybe 
a very small percentage, but it just doesn't exist. And how did football do that? Like, how did they get this to, to completely break out of even traditional fanship? And fuck, I don't know. I guess we're talking about it. We're trying to figure it out, but it's hard to quantify it. Is there, I mean, think about one of the successful models that the NFL network has, right? The red zone package that a lot of people buy. The red zone package is a direct result of interest in fantasy football, right? Catching those scoring moments from teams that you don't necessarily follow, that you don't have on your local broadcast. Is there any other sport that has an outside influence, a media influence that's bred a a package for their consumers that's been so successful? So like two points to what you were saying, Vala. Point number one, you look at these shows that occur right before the fucking game starts. Like at the game starting at noon, the show starts at 11 or right. 12. Dude, it's a fantasy football one, right? It's a fantasy football pick em fucking show that ends up going out like, okay, this is your last minute adjustment lineup. This is what you need to do. And this is the hot fucking time slot right before the game starts where everybody's tuning in. And that's been given to fantasy football. Not like, you know, not with Randy Moss and Booger, you know, Booger McFarland or some of these other guys that are talking about the game. No, it's about the guys that are talking about fucking fantasy football. Quick, fuck Booger McFarland. One of the worst broadcasters out there. Terrible. He has Terrible. the funniest name. He has the funniest name, so I just love it, like saying it as many times. None, as I can. none of his co-broadcasters ever call him Booger. Like, all right, Booger, Booger. what's next? <laughs> is, it, is there a better LSU defensive tackle name ever than Booger <laughs> McFarland? The answer is no. Oh man, I'm done. I'm glad we agreed on something. But you know, Absolutely. you know what I found is sort of a parallel on a much What's minor that? scale. And I noticed this about four years ago. I don't know about you guys, but amongst people that I hung out with, there was like this FIFA revolt about four or five years ago, yeah. where all of a sudden everyone was playing FIFA, and we just are all playing FIFA because it's a great game. Next thing I know, I have friends that I know for a fact couldn't name two professional Euroleague this soccer players, yes. and now they're fucking buying soccer jerseys. Well said. So the way to gain viewership and acquire customer, that's what it is because these are businesses. It's its not just one way of doing it. In other FIFA, I'll give yeah. you an example. They've done that, but the NFL has done it on so many different levels. Madden, fantasy football, daily fantasy football. They've just put their tentacles out there, and their gambles have paid off, man. Yeah, no. the, Mad, the Madden yeah. truck on ESPN in the early Wild. 2000s, right? They would get, drive across the country, and dudes would play Madden with each other on yeah. this truck. And one of the most successful game shows on ESPN that I can remember. Well, I think the main thing about fantasy football, which I think works so well, is with fantasy basketball and fantasy baseball, it's, I think, the last-minute unpredictability of injuries to top stars, right? It's like, yo, that team that you drafted initially with, your, with the squad, that team's not going to look... Any, if, or at least if you're trying to play and be competitive, that team's not going to look anything like what you had initially drafted when you finished the end of the year because of all the players that are going to get injured that are not going to play. And it's like, fuck, I'm going to lose 20 points, but you can pick some dude off the waivers and give you that, right? With baseball and basketball, I think it's like, all right, I have my starters. I know who they're going to play. And you're really not going to bench and change those lineups unless it's, you know, completely that guy is injured or it's something detrimental. So that last minute, like you have to be involved in it no matter what to be on top of your game shit. That's something that I've 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 never seen with any other sport. Like I don't give a fuck about how my basketball lineup looks like, but oh fuck, OBJ's not playing or you know, Van Jefferson's out for the for this game. I gotta go fucking replace him with somebody else. I think that's something that I saw that really meant a lot. But the fact that you can replace him sort of speaks to what I was talking about in the NFL of building a program rather yeah. than a player based, you know, uh metric, right? You can just replace players. There's so many, and every year there's new studs that come in in every single position. You can just roll through people. Deshaun 
Deshaun Watson was one of the most marketable stars the NFL is going to have. Yeah. He's gone. They haven't missed a fucking beat. beat yeah. Oh, Herbert, Burrow, we're just yeah. going to constantly send new people in because they've done such a good job of removing the the player as the driver of the league. They said, well, if Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady just died tomorrow, the league would suffer. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. There'd be some headlines, but guess what? Next year, there'll be a new version, and we'll constantly be crowning them. And the NBA, NBA Twitter is the worst of all this. I don't get it, but you have like the LeBron fans that all they do is follow LeBron around. It's so interesting to me that that's not good for the sport. That's not good for the sport. Um, I think another thing that touches on this, I know this is sort of a tangent. When I just think about MLB, NBA, and NFL, because that's really what we're talking about Mm -hmm. here. You hit on this earlier, and I don't even know if you were trying to go there, but... NBA is coastally dominated yep. in their big prominent programs. Same with the same with the MLB outside of like the Cardinals and the Cubbies, but the Cubbies they're coastal in my mind. Mm-hmm. Chicago Mines will be a coastal bastion. The NFL, you just said the Chiefs, Dallas is in the heartland, Green Bay. Like these are program people love these teams, the Broncos, and they're in the middle of the country. Yeah. They're in the middle of the country and the amount of parity that occurs every year you pretty much go into every single year thinking, oh, we might actually have a chance to be decent and make some noise. Where these other sports, I knew going in this year, just as I knew the Texans would be bad, but I could see us winning six or seven games. Mm-hmm. I knew the Rockets were going to be bad this year. There is no gutting your way to like a six seed when you're that bad in the NBA. Like you are what you are. So the inevitableness, I think, really hurt the NBA in comparison to the NFL where you have parity every single year and a constant rotation of pieces where the, the NBA is what it is. We need fresh blood, man. Mm-hmm. The LeBron yeah. era needs to be done. You know, yeah. I think so to your point about when we talk about the heartland, I think that that argument ends up coming back Tanner to college. When we look at all these college sports where the heartland is everything, the sec, where are all these sec teams? They're, they're, they're not in fucking Houston, Texas. They're not in like, you know, in New York, they're not in like any of these big, they're literally in college station, Texas, right? In Tuscaloosa, Alabama, fucking Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You're talking about the bumfuck nowheres of anything. The else. two most profitable, uh, the, the leagues in all of college sports, bar none, not even close big 10 and sec. Easy. And that's the definition of rust belt. Well, in deep south where most people associate backwards, right? Bro, yeah. And they are the most profitable, most robust leagues. So that's it's exactly what you Fam, just said. I've never, so I've been to only, I've, I've been a handful of college football games in my life, but I've been to one that I will always remember. And that was a Nebraska Cornhuskers game where I was there. Oh, Bro, yeah. I, holy fuck. That place rocks. Holy, yeah. dude, I've been to Death Valley and I shit you not, I'm probably going to get crucified for this, but Nebraska Cornhuskers were louder in my opinion when they were, than what I've seen in Death Valley and Baton Rouge. And that's, Literally, you know, in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, just corn around me more than anything was, else. Was it louder than HBU? Um, almost, but you can hear Dr. Sloan, you know, like crucifying people in the background. So you can't yeah. see that there, unfortunately. Hey, shout out Zappy one time, though, Western Kentucky. They, yeah, him and they those got three, one. And, they, and one of the receivers they brought, there's a stud. The Twins, one oh, of their yeah. brothers, he's an NFL guy. They just took two NFL players from HBU. Eh, Western Kentucky, we're going to go win eight games. That that makes up for the 74-0 skunk they gave to Sam Houston their first year. That's how you do it, bro. That's how you come out with a bang, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no trash cans or anything It's either. established culture. I, I love it. Culture. I, I fucking love it, dude. Uh, but that that kind of gets me when it gets you know wants to get me to to my other point as we talk about we've talked about all the good with football I kind of want to get to the negative sides of like how this is still like kind of an anomaly amidst all the bad that we've talked about so we've we've hit on CTE a lot and I think you know we've talked about the the deference associated with CTE can we just talk about how 
you know, we talk about, I think we're living in an era now where worker empowerment is something we're seeing a lot in the workplace, not only in sports, but throughout America in general, right? We're, we're living amidst a great resignation right now. And I kind of want to understand how the fuck the NFL is getting away with non-guaranteed contracts in a time point where money has been everything in society. And if you're not getting paid your worth, you're getting, you're, you're trying to, you know, do something else with it. So I still want to understand that perspective from you guys. We had, we had a pretty good conversation on like one of our really early podcasts, Tanner, about the NFL versus the NBA PA. And is there, so is there any disagreement among the three of us that the NFL has the worst players association? Not even close. Not even close. Right. And you know, the human element of that, that comes into play is these are, there's such size on an NFL contract and so many guys who are yearning for that next man up spot that, Hey, if you're not thankful for this contract, there's 18 guys on the practice squad that can pretty much do most of what you do, uh, and we can tailor them and kind of fit them into our game plan over the course of several years. There's a human element there, and there's a lot more to it that we discussed with the the CBA and the players' agreements. And it's crazy, man, for a sport that doesn't insure their players after retirement in a lot of in a variety of different areas. CTEs, I still think, still being one of them. Um, it's crazy that you don't guarantee them even for the shortest time frame of careers that they have relative to other sports. So you will get disability checks. I know people who have played who cash eight to 10 grand a month in disability uh, after you're vested four years and then you're, you're vested for all the benefits, the fringe benefits after. But the guaranteed contracts is an interesting one to me because I'm all for guaranteed contracts because it's the most violent sport. You're, it can be snapped immediately. And they, the team always has control and structure in the contract. That is starting to change, though, boys. I mean, Kirk Cousins, 100%. shout out Kirk. He literally was the – they all owe Kirk. A lot of people shit on Kirk, but Kirk brought in the guaranteed contract. But from the viewer, and this is sort of why I don't think the NFL – they're not going to lean into this ever because they've seen what that's done in the NBA. You can have a Tuesday night in Charlotte when no one really gives a fuck because they're not getting replaced because the money is hooked in. In the NFL, the reason why the machine works is exactly what you said, Vala. If you're not playing well and you're not busting ass, we're literally cutting you and we're bringing in another $500,000 defensive tackle or offensive guard the next week. So it's created a sort of hyper – competitive NFL games are typically competitive and close and there's a reason why because every week there's true incentive for 95% of the roster to go kick ass because they don't have a guaranteed contract they're always auditioning for their next job so it's created this natural competition that is inherent with a bunch of people competing for their next job every single week where I think you see in the other sports you sign a hundred million dollar guaranteed and you're an average NBA player you're fucking good. That Wednesday night in Charlotte, yeah, in February, I guess, you know, I got to go play hard. And eh, we lose. It is what it is. There's not the threat of me getting cut the next week and not making my money. So, okay, let me, I'm going to make a point and then I want to ask you both a question. So, you know, NBA basketball, it's, it can be hit or miss from October all the way to probably February, March, right? When you watch NBA basketball in the playoffs, I think that's up there with March Madness and the NCAA basketball scene as one of the best sports products you can watch. So to go back on your point, Tanner, the question I want to ask is you see NBA players with these guaranteed four-year contracts still have three to four years left on them now demanding out, saying they're done with the team, saying, hey, trade me. I don't want to be here anymore despite just signing a fresh four-year $100 million contract. And... I want to ask you guys, do you think that's something that hurts the product in the NBA and viewership as well? Kind of knowing that you have these stars that 
aren't really going to be there for your team until March and April anyways. And also they could leave at any time and, you know, don't really teams are losing that identity factor of constantly moving pieces. Stars, you're starting to see stars signed on one or two year contracts, mercenary contracts, yeah. so to speak, like we thought CP3 was going to do before he re-upped with Phoenix. Do you think that's something that hurts the NBA? I think this is just what the market's going to be going towards. It's going to be these mercenary deals because there's no reason I could think of where you could say that you could have a four or five year long term contract where you state that you've signed a five year deal with this team. You're going to be honoring those five year deals unless you come to a mutual consensus that there's going to be trade involved in, in, in anything. I think it's the same thing that we see in like in, in, in corporate America, right? Or in, in any of the world as well, is if you have a sustained year deal with the company to have a contract contract with them unless you're bought out by a competitor at a higher rate there's no reason for you to break this contract and i think the same thing the same principle needs to be set here for nba players as well and if you're not going to do that and if you value more of the the flexibility associated with it i think as a player you'd be foolish not to demand the highest aav per contract for like a one to two year deal and then move anywhere else as the as the collective you know salary cap is increasing at an exponential rate as well. So I think as a player, you're foolish if you're doing that. And I think as a owner, you need to double down on that acumen and pretty much not impose any sort of trades unless you have a short-term deal to begin with. So would y'all agree that the NBA has leaned into them being a player-centric league more than the other two major leagues? Yeah, by, by far. By far. So what they've done is they've lost all their leverage. They pissed away their leverage to determine the outcome here, right? Because mm-hmm. they empowered players for... And that's a good thing. Players should be empowered because they're it's labor. You you should be able to choose where you work in theory. With that said, you can't go back on that. So now the NBA players have the leverage. You can opposite of the NFL, if you get four or five big time NBA players that just say, No, we're not fucking playing, it will cripple the product because you're so familiar with them. The way I look at it is like the Rockets, the identity of the Rockets was tied, you know, to James Harden for so long. And even some of the other guys. And when you flip those guys, granted, the the Texans have done this and it's been a bad, bad deal. But the difference is I see those guys face. There's a level of connection that is inherently with the player. So when you bring in a new set of people, there's just zero connection. There's just zero connection there. And the NBA players, they know that, right? That they're coming to watch us. They're not coming to watch the Rockets. They're coming to watch me, James Harden, get buckets out here. So they have the leverage now. And the NBA's walked right into it. I don't know what they're going to do. I guess this mercenary thing is going to continue. I think it's very bad for overall viewership. I like it as a basketball fan because I get to watch constantly shuffling really good teams. But... For example, if it, they just built this huge arena in Milwaukee, and let's just say in a year or two, Giannis is like, fuck this, I'm out of here. I mean, the city of Milwaukee, all that capital investment, it goes to not. If you lose yeah. a player like that, like that's not a strong enough program where you're going to have the buy-in still. It's so tied to the identity. And that is a – whenever you have a bottleneck in your business, right. and this is their bottleneck, it, it's, it's probably not the best practice. Yeah, I, and I think, it, like you said, I think it's going to hurt the product in the NBA. And when has that ever happened? Recently in the NFL, the example that I think of right away is Deshaun Watson, right? Before all these alleg- allegations came out, young star quarterback who just re-signed, re-upped long-term the offseason prior, demands out and <laughs> look where it's led him, right? You, you can conspiracy craft all you want. We're not going to go there, but... At this point, Deshaun Watson's not playing football, and I think if those allegations never even came out, I still think he'd be sitting on the Texans roster because, again, Tanner, NFL players have no leverage. 
even the star, brightest young quarterback, face of the league, in this case, had no leverage. And <laughs> hurts to say this, but that works in the favor of the NFL as a product to its consumers. Yeah, no, and I'll compl- I would completely agree with with the standpoint of you know why it's done, and I understand the leverage that NFL that the NFL wants to hold over its players. I just tr- I just keep understanding, I guess, from the context of woke America where we're living in today, in which everybody deserves to be having the you know the best opportunity to get the best benefits you can in the area that you're in. That that hasn't been used to the leverage of the players to be able to gain what they want, right? Like if. Pretty much what I'm trying to say, now there's no better time than, than the current right now for you to leverage what the society is pretty much going through, that paradigm shift of you know workers' rights and everything of that nature. Because at, at the end of the day, these NFL players are employees, right? They're workers at the end of the day. So I, I guess I'm not understanding why that hasn't been pushed right now. Well, do you think maybe some of it ties into even the current NFL players realizing? The thing about the NFL is you have a new crop every year, so there's constant opportunity for new people to make it, where the NBA feels and the MLB feels a lot more rigid. I mean, the MLB, you got to play fucking nine years before you get paid, right? Yeah. And once you have these guaranteed contracts, teams aren't moving off people very often because they still got to pay the money. So you sort of limit opportunity, right? So by securing your current workforce, you're limiting opportunity for maybe up-and-coming talent. So to me, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because if you lock everything in in the NFL with guaranteed contracts and guaranteed money, you're not getting these big classes of undrafted free agents coming in and getting opportunities and creating new opportunities for new people to rise up the ranks. You're going to create maybe a stagnation event like you have in the NBA where there's constantly new good players, but there's not an influx of young talent every year that you can say, oh, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl, you know, where they have new marketing stars every year in the NFL. In the NBA, they get a couple, you know, the top guys, but there's just not enough turnover to create new roster stars from the middle of rosters. See, I don't know. When I look at baseball, for example, I still think that baseball still has, similar to football, still has a little bit of leverage over their players because, like, I'm looking from the Astros' standpoint, right, of we're going to lose Carlos Correa. And when he's gone, Pena is still in the fucking minor leagues right now at age 23. He's going to be a major leaguer in the next maybe year, two years, and he's, you know, projected to look like the next A-Rod as well. So I look at these teams that have strong farm systems, and I still think, okay, well, technically the Astros still have the leverage here because they can lose three of their stars right now, and their farm system is so strong that they'll be replaced within the next two years as well same thing with like teams that have in the end in the nba that have very strong you know minor league products and affiliates as well it's like all right well if you do this correctly i'm not gonna say you have a star that you want somebody like pena and for the astros but you can still have a high quality level level player i think where i'm trying to understand with the nfl is that these college football studs that we see like joe burrow for example right this is this is last year you know insert any other player name over here that can come out, look like a dominant star in college football, has the opportunity to come in and play day one and be that star level player. And it's something I guess I'm not seeing in the NBA or in the MLB where you have to play a couple of years, but this NFL guy can just go in and make his impact on day one. I think that's the college sport, man, because the end, the a big difference in football is NFL actually follows college in terms of trends because that's your talent base. That's where they're coming from. So when the NFL college football is the one who really embraced the whole RPO spread power concepts. And now half the NFL teams are running that exact same thing. Cause why not take what your new talent does already and incorporate it? Plus it makes the game more entertaining. So the transition process is a little bit either easier where I watch college basketball and it mines will be a different product than yeah, the NBA 100%. for good or for bad, but it mines will be a different product yeah. than the NBA. So I think the transition obviously is much rougher and that hurts 
the league's ability to constant. We like new things. You know, like it's nice to have a new crop of stars every single year. And your team on any given team you root for in the NFL, you can legitimately get a new young star every single year in a draft. They hit on the first or second round pick, and now you got a new person you're buying a jersey from. That you know. The hardcore Rockets fans, we love the Rockets, so I might go scoop some, you know, the 15th overall picks jersey. But that's not a very common deal, right? Because you don't – 65%, 70% says that guy's two years and then he's off the roster, three years right. and off the roster unless he's a high premium pick. So I think their ability to market new stars, they've hit on a couple, like the Jokic's of the world. They've done that well. But the nature of the league and sort of the rigidness of the league because of the high barrier entry to even get into that level of basketball – I think hurts their ability when their top line superstars are not transcendent LeBron in his prime <laughs> Steph in his prime type deals where they can carry the entire league. Yeah. I think the NBA is doing better. I, I think they're working on it. Right. Tanner, you hit the nail on the head, bro. This is the NFL has no greater farm system than NCAA football. Oh. Right. It, they come in and, NCAA football players usually stay in college a little bit longer than NCAA basketball players. You know, your body matures a little bit more. You learn the game a little bit more, more reps as opposed to developing at practice. And these NCAA basketball guys, you know, <laughs> bench guys at Kentucky will get drafted in the first round because NBA scouts know Kentucky is the closest thing we have to an NBA system and preparing these guys for the NBA system. So these college guys will leave college after a year, maybe two, and have to sit on an NBA bench or go down to the G League for a few months and really learn the game at an NBA level. And again, that hurts the product from the standpoint of not bringing in this influx of new talent that can contribute right away. Jalen Green, I mean, he's the first experiment that we have in the NBA of a guy going from high school and developing in the minor leagues, so to speak, in the G League. And, you know, he's looked questionable. I think it's still early to say anything about him, but it hasn't been a hit model so far. But I think they're working on it, the fact that they have the G League. I think uh, recently there was a 17-year-old kid who signed with one of the G League teams. I think he was a European kid who signed with the G League team. So maybe the NBA starts moving towards that model of really having a minor league system and a youth system where they develop these guys even from high school. So, so do you think, sorry to jump in, but do you think this is like a, a chicken and the egg conversation though? Is college football as prominent as it is because of the success of the NFL and football in general, or is the college populism a huge driver of NFL success, right? Because like one of them had to sort of become dominant first, right? In terms of the, the hearts and minds of America. And I don't know if that can be replicated at the grassroots level with like a minor league in the NBA because college hoops is as good yeah. as it is. We just acknowledge it's different products and nobody watches fucking college baseball. No. So, you know, they have the, the college football. I bet you if you look at the numbers is probably the second most prominent league in all of sports and all in America. It almost is like a standalone product, but it is transitionable in terms yeah. of the game. And I'm wondering, is, well, is that the driver of NFL success or do we go to Alabama to go watch big college football because of how much we value football because of the NFL having the kingship for the last 30 years. 
I think there's definitely some mutual benefits and it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship that they're running between each other, right? Because yeah. like the NFL can't succeed without college football, but college football cannot succeed if there's no end game for those players to go for the NFL, right? I think like, for example, we look at the hype behind like some of these number one overall picks. I remember when Jadavion Clowney was coming out of South Carolina. I remember one of the big deals about it was the fact that Jadavion Clowney was going to be the number one overall pick in the NFL and sign this massive fucking, you know, signing bonus and this overall deal that he was going to get that he wouldn't have gotten obviously in college because he wouldn't get paid. I think there has to be that end off that we look at these players and it's like, yo, Joey B is about to sign a fucking massive rookie deal, right? Like you look at it, it's like, okay, there is some end game for these guys for playing this well. And I think for the NFL, it's like, all right, where the fuck are we going to get this, you know, this athletic of a force of, of athletes ever in the world that are looking to come exactly and have one op- exit opportunity, right? Like your average NFL player isn't going to fucking college to go get a degree in mechanical engineering or no. something of that nature, right? They're barely going to school whatsoever. And nor- I think it was the University of North Carolina got in trouble because there was a player that wanted to go to engineering and they made him do African-American studies or something like that. And it kind of shows it's like, all right, because we don't want you to study here, even though you're at a world-class institution, your 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 end game over here is the professional leagues. So I think because of that, there's some sort of construed like environment that both of them are so beneficial to each other. Plus, I think that there's so much of the demographic that watches the NFL translates into having some sort of affiliation with one of these big college football programs, right? Oh, there's a pretty big chance that the guy who's at the Saints game most likely went to LSU or have some sort of like kinship when it comes to to LSU. Your Denver Broncos fan probably has a you know his Colorado Bison fan or something, or Buffalo's fan, Westfield. But the well. question is, did he go to LSU because of their football team, because of him being a fan of football, right? Is that yeah. what drove him to LSU? Is because he wanted to participate? in that game day deal because of his inherent fanship of football? I think it was because of football in general, which I think if you're going to bring up football in general, the NFL has to be affiliated with it because there's no alternative to it, right? There's no alternative to football than the NFL. There's no alternative to... You know, college football isn't an alternative. It's a piece of football, and it just happens to be a pretty large piece of it, right? Like, if you're going to watch the amount of people that I would say watch college football, I would say the same amount watches the NFL and vice versa as well. The amount of people that watch the NFL watch the same amount of college football, maybe not as much to a scale, but they're fully aware of it. I can tell you for a fact that's not true of basketball, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And that's a I would, huge separation. I would say more NBA fans are NCAA football fans than NBA fans being NBA uh, NCAA basketball fans. Yeah, no, I would agree, I agree with that. that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, that's the thing about about college basketball, though, right? College basketball isn't relevant to any American until fucking what March? Like, yeah. there's literally just one month that college basketball owns, and that's it. And it's like you look at college football. Well, fucking okay, opening op- opening weekend, homecoming weekend, bowl games, college football playoffs. It's like there's so many different events that I look at college football that they just fucking own, and it's like, all right. Then you top top that off with the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl, and it's like, well, fuck. Seems like football is literally on all the fucking time and it never ends. And it doesn't hurt them, though. Yeah. And that's sort of the counter argument to, you know, well, the NBA long season is what hurts them. Well, there's a month and a half stretch where there's football every single day. And I watch a shit ton of it. And a lot of America watches a shit ton of it. So I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they've captured our attention, I guess, other than maybe some primal instinct that we all like violence or at least yeah. a big majority of us like some form of violence, whether we like to admit it or not. And football is a naturally violent game. So it's almost like you're watching people in a modern day, you know, outside of boxing or UFC, probably as close as you're going to get to some form of glittorial, you know, activities and Fuck, we've liked that shit forever, boys. Absolutely. That Fuck shit's yeah. not changing anytime soon either. You know, it doesn't matter how quote unquote conservative or woke the country gets. We all sort of have that little streak of watching two. It's like the car crash. You drive 100%. by, you look at the car crash. 100%. It's, it's human nature. 
There's a reason why the Coliseum in Rome is still fucking there for, and the amount of fucking money that went into creating that thing was essentially there as well. Yeah, I know there's, there's primitive instincts in us that I don't think are ever going to leave. Do you guys think that this is going to maintain though? I mean, we talk it's, about yeah. we talk about the year-round element of it, bro. Just in, I think it was 2007 or 2008 when Bill Simmons, when he was at ESPN, pitched the idea to ESPN about having a daily NBA talk show, and ESPN was like, wait. That's a ludicrous idea. That sounds like the worst possible thing. No one would tune in daily to watch basketball. And now we have this environment where there's multiple daily NBA talk shows. The NBA is on year-round. The off-season, you know, the free agency opening day is one of the hottest times in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And the NBA is creeped up on them in that regard. But again, you know, like you said, football, just having the NCAA and NFL product kind of having that symbiotic relationship has managed to stay relevant and managed to stay king in that. And I don't know if that's going to change, man. Like, what more can the NBA do to expand on their model and their increase in viewership? Because yeah. the NFL, let's face it. I mean, like you said, ratings are up 5 to 6% this year. But the Super Bowl last year, chalk it up to it being a bad matchup and, yeah. you know, Tom Brady not being at his best was the lowest rated Super Bowl since 2007. Yeah, no, and I and see, that's and that's kind of where the my nuance be with the NFL be, kind of comes in right it's the fact of like we've seen the sustained growth for so long but then like when is it going to get to a point because it's going to get to the point in my opinion that the nfl isn't going to be the biggest league um in the world or you know get retain these kind of viewership ratings that we just talked about in the, what, what what's your timeline for that i think it's gonna be the next five to five to ten years five, five years ten. i do i do and the reason the reason for it, i don't think we're going to go to the point where we're going to say that the nfl is going to get usurped by another sport but i am going to be able to say that the the ratings of what they had that five to six percent growth year in on year end is going to be sustained and i think it's a couple of points to it first off we talked about this before the pod. We're living in a golden era of content. And I think we're realizing that if it's not on demand, we're not, we as Americans aren't going to be on the timeline of any, somebody else. Meaning, I don't know for how much longer people are going to be into the live sports aspect of, all right, I'm going to wait specifically for this game when, okay, I'm catching highlights, like you said, Vala, on YouTube for the whole thing the next day. And it's fully available to me instead of a five hour long, you know, type of thing is aggregated down to 30 minutes. That's my first point. The second point is I can there's so much more content that I look at HBO, you know, Showtime, NBC, TNT of all these amazing shows that I see that just have the depth and the fortitude for honestly can be masterpieces to what Shakespeare even fucking probably thought three, four hundred years ago. This probably destroys his imagination as well. And we're living in a golden content of era that makes me keep thinking like, all right, am I going to go back to this? Sport, you know, this sport that I know what the result's going to be. Maybe not the result of, you know, who's going to win or lose, but one team's going to win, one team's going to lose. It's still the same underlying narrative as opposed to watching something that I have never thought of before and it can blow my fucking mind. So, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm gauging your But But you have, access, you have access to that at any time. You can Absolutely. watch that at any time. The NFL is live. Yeah. Right? So, there's a time block that you're going to have to tune in for that. And it's hard for me to see that the numbers for that going down despite increased access to content because you can access that content at any time. Right. No, I agree with that. I think, again, to that standpoint, you have access to the content at all time, but are we combining this with the fact of all the negative publicity, the negative press, the negativity that's associated with the NFL right now? And that's kind of where I'm trying to gauge at as trying to understand that there is no way I see the NFL retaining like increased viewership in this amidst everything going on. I may be wrong, and the NFL's proven me wrong for every ten, five, ten years, but I don't think within my lifetime, Vala, and our collective lifetimes, that we've seen the NFL have any scar on its face rather than what we're seeing now. And if there's any other market share to take 
usurp the place of America in this country, it's now. Uh, so I think the thing about that is, do you think the NFL right now is as as a negative uh, perception in the marketplace? Because I don't. I turned on ESPN four years ago. That's all you saw yeah. was negative news. I don't see a fucking word of that now. Really? You don't think there's any? Ne- I think there's quite a big negative, quite a bit of negative connotation associated with it, just because. The whole thing that that was carried around with the whole race relationship aspect with Colin Kaepernick, I think mm-hmm. that's still get subsided. Woke. Yeah, get woke, go broke. Exactly, and I think people still remember the whole woke aspect of what side the NFL is standing on this. And I think we can we can see it now, even though if the collective players don't, the negative representation of minority ownership in the NFL as well. Mm-hmm. Shad Khan, who looks like me, is the only guy that's you know a minority owner in in, in the or a majority owner in the NFL as well. What's it like with the NBA and MLB? It's pretty bad too, but at the same Probably time, pretty similar. It's similar to it, but at the same time, I think there's a less acumen of feeling of what Bob McNair used to say of what the prisoners running the asylum. Yeah. There's more mutual understanding between the players and the ownership as in like we both run this together as in versus what I still see here, which the owner still kind of has an ownership over that collective team. And you guys are just a part of that team. It's not the individual aspect of it. And that third thing is what you just mentioned as well, Tanner, what we talked about initially, how much of this, individuality factor of who the player is of who the athlete is is going to come into this versus retaining that large you know team associated aspect of this in which you're part of this team you're not the individual and if you want to be the individual there's another place for you that you could possibly be at i think that's not going away i mean okay so the quarterback would be the closest thing to an nba superstar but the great thing that the nfl's done is quarterbacks don't leave. Deshaun was the first mm-hmm. one ever that I can remember in recent time that three or four years in was like, get me out of here. Typically, the quarterback is the one constant, a very good one over a 10 to 12-year stretch. And then he's primarily the marketable face. But outside of that, we've seen, if you as the Giants can ship Odell to Cleveland and it doesn't really screw with you, or you can, Tom Brady goes to the uh, Tampa and the Pats are still the Pats, and I guarantee you they went up in value. Fuck, the Texans went up, I think, $300 million in two years mm-hmm. in valuation of a program. So I don't think that the player being the controller of eyes in terms of loyalty is is the NFL's that's why the NFL has it set up the way they do with these non-guaranteed contracts. They want a little turnover, right? Because they don't want it to be too steady eddy. But the reason why I really don't think that the NFL will die away, the NIL rule to college football to me just created the gap even wider. Because in the past, if you were a really good six foot three athlete, you might try to go play hoops because you know you only have to do one year and you go get paid. And if you want to do college, you got a three years of college football. It was red shirt in two years. Now that shit doesn't exist. You can get paid quicker to go play college football than go into one year. Unless you're going to Duke or Kentucky, you're not catching a million dollar NIL deal where you can go to a Texas who's a middling program and in theory catch a half a million dollar NIL deal at 18. Mm-hmm. So now you're going to create a bigger vacuum in this competition pyramid of the good athletes that aren't, you know, six, seven, six, eight, and they're going to continue to migrate towards college football because there's more money in college football. There's more programs that will throw around hundred thousand dollar NIL deals through boosters. Yeah. So they're going to get better and better athletically. And that's going to translate to the program. So I think the pro game is just going to continue to get better from an athletic standpoint, because a lot of these guys that maybe might've played gone NBA, if they're a six, three guard, like a Russell Westbrook, we were just talking about this before. If Russell or AI, if AI could have made a million dollars, going to play, you know, at Bama immediately at 18, maybe he had a different thought process, right? Mm-hmm. Then go to Georgetown for a couple of years and go to the league. Maybe it was a different thought process. And I think it's going to continue to attract more young talent to go play college football. 
more so than that even does now because of the NIL. You think the G League development is going to interfere with that in terms of the college game having a wider gap from the NBA game? You know, you have 18-year-olds, Jalen Green and what's his name? Kaminga were two of the top five talents in the draft. And you can only assume that's going to grow, that there are going to be more top prospects going straight to the G League, earning a million dollar contract, being able to benefit off their name as well, and then being drafted and being lottery picks, earning those massive contracts right away. So no, and here's why. I personally, I love the NBA. I love the Rockets. I didn't really know who Jalen Green was to about two months before the draft. I didn't. I didn't know that his name's not out there. He's not a star. And for some of these young cats who've always grown up wanting to be the stud, guess what? The freshman at Florida, the starting quarterback, he's a celebrity in yeah. Florida, right? And if the money you can get paid is damn near equal to, well, you're going to go choose to play on national TV and have everybody know who you are and be the topic of ESPN, you know, first take. You're just you're going to take that path if you crave that kind of stardom. So the only advantage the NBA did have was easier access to money. And now that that's been effectively eliminated by the NII rule, and guess what? The University of Florida and the University of Alabama has a bigger bank. They got billion dollar endowment funds and boosters that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, Bubba's car dealership is going to be dealing out $200,000 NII deals like nothing. So you've created a direct pipeline that you can get the notoriety that's already existing where you're a superstar. If you're a college football legend, it's almost like being oh, yeah. better than an NFL legend. I mean, oh, it's it's Matt Leinart after his Heisman year going back and being man on campus at USC, right? Yeah. It's, it's Leinart. It's Tebow. You can literally create a market. Jimmer Fredette was a fantastic college BYU player. is a there's a fucking there, there's some sort of statue of Jimmer at BYU. Yeah, at BYU. Yeah. But but the average sports fan Jimmer might know. Statue. Everybody knows Vince Young and Tim yeah. Tebow, and they were respectively dog shit in the NFL for 100%. different reasons. Because the college platform is so massive. And now you can make a million dollars a year as an 18-year-old to do that? So let me ask you this, then. I feel like the NIL rule was a direct correlation to what transpired with CTE coming about. And you need to incentivize other people to be you know, financially incentivized at 18 for taking these brain injuries. Do you still think that with the advent of you know, the information coming out for CTE, more information coming about how, about how college sports is actually exacerbating it even worse because the hits are harder in college football than what you have in the NFL because people are trying to make these, you know, these hits. Do you think that that's going to trickle down to less talent being exposed in the Big 12, in the SEC, in these leagues now within college football because of all the intensity that you have with CTE as well? No, because the kid from Dade County doesn't give a fuck about CTE. You know, yeah. kid from Houston, Texas doesn't give a fuck about CTE at North Shore. He's trying to go play University of Texas and trying to get paid and go to the NFL. Now, it might you might see a couple quarterbacks from the Woodlands yes. fall away, but the core of what makes up big time college football will not give a fuck about it. And that's just the reality. Even I, though you know the risks, I just don't see that being a, a detriment. I think, Nabil, your theory, and, you know, I, I think I agree. I'd have to unpackage this a little further. I think your theory is that this negative press around CTE long term is going to dissuade more kids from getting into or rather dissuade parents from getting their kids into the game at such a younger age. And so your your talent crop is smaller year to year. Is that what you're getting? I'm at? trying to get at that. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're, the talent crop that you would have initially wanted to be in the NFL for your next generation. It's not going to be there because of the other options that you have available to them. And then that underlying 
competition that you have for talent for the NFL combined with the talent combined with the competition that you're having in the open marketplace for viewership. I think both of those things are going to be ending up taking some sort of market share away from the NFL. And it just doesn't make any sense for me that it wouldn't from that standpoint. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I think there's definitely I mean, already you talk to people in our age, our cohort, and you ask them the question of are you going to let your kids play football? I would be hard pressed to say it's about 50-50 now and 10 year you know 10 years ago you take 29 year olds in the early 2000s uh, and you ask them the same question I don't I think it's an overwhelming yeah I'm going to let my kid play football I was the man on campus he's going to be the same thing and I'm going to be at all his practices growing up too Let me ask you this of those of that sample size how many of them actually have kids at football playing age or is this just theoretical Theoretical it's all theoretical Okay yeah. Yeah. so a lot of that changes once little Johnny and all of his friends or the three of his friends are playing football and he sees the cheerleaders look at him a certain way and little Johnny comes to dad and says I want to play football dad's going to let him play fucking football So it's it's sort of like well when I have a kid I'm not going to let him eat sugars but then once you're fucking running late from work and you pick up a Hershey bar, you're going to give it to the kid because that's what the kid's crying and bitching and wants to do. So while I understand the CTE being an underlying issue, how much worse anybody who has any level of brain capacity has been told CTE is fucking bad and it kills you. They've come out and say, hey, it kills you. It's bad. What more can they say that will cause a detrimental effect? Like, are they going to put a warning sign in the beginning of games? Maybe like smokers. Yeah. I don't know. I just think more of the fact of like, it's not, I think the information is there, right? But I think it's more of the fact of how willing are people to have these open conversations about it, right? Like we, we all know about what's going on. Like we, like the, the access to information on what we know is good for an economy and what we know is bad for an economy is all there, right? Like quantitative easing, we know at one point can be a fucking issue, right? Like yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we all, we all know that how are we, are we actually going to end up talking about unlimited this liquidity is good. What are you Ex talking about? Exactly. Right. Like money printer goes burr. God damn it. Like it's, it's things like that. Like we know things that are bad or we know things that can cause us issues that we're not willing to talk about right like we're talking about this because i think that we're very aware football fans are just fans in sports and we're having this conversation but how many of these people that are just joe blows off the street having conversations about cte or consider that to be an issue for the nfl like we do or like your 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 fan does more than anything else so i think that conversation about ct is going to be normalized in the public sooner than later so who would normalize this i want to continue this thought who, who would, would be the vehicle this? to normalize this and bring this to the little public little johnny like we're talking about little johnny for example that that whole argument of your player from the core that came from you know dade county mm -hmm. came from houston texas that came back and says hey look dude i shot my fucking wife in the face because i ended up having bipolar disorder you know i, I was bipolar you know some guy who's literally doing shit off the rockers that comes back and it's like, hey, uh, he's 55, but he's still shitting in a diaper. I, do I want to do this right yeah. now? No, I guess let me let me rephrase it. So how are they consuming this information? What? Who's the source of the what, information? Uh, there, so there was no source 20, 30 years ago. None. Now we have source in the way of a movie. I mean, a, a movie by one of the top billing actors in Hollywood, Will Smith. He had mm -hmm. concussion. Oh, yeah. You got pieces on HBO Real Sport. Almost every month they drop a piece on CTE. YouTube videos, player testimonies news clips of the tragic suicides, you know, research in the way of literature from Boston University, it's not normalized yet to where it's accessible to high school kids or younger kids looking to get into the sport. But I mean, it's accessible to adults in a way it never was before. And you can only assume it's going to become more accessible to a younger audience as more information and more media is put out there. No, so I agree with that. I agree with what you're getting. I guess what, I'll, what I'm getting at and just sort of going down the rabbit hole of my thought here. So we just talked about 
all this different content and sort of the battle for our attention and these big guys getting into potentially the streaming services, getting into that world and legacy networks having hundreds of millions and billions of dollars tied up, billions and billions of dollars tied up in TV contracts. Well, assuming those are going to be the attention grabbers and that's why they're willing to pay people or pay the NFL large sums of money to increase views because these are already prominent stalwarts in the way we consume media. Why the fuck would they ever go about running a crusade against something they just paid $20 billion for over 10 years to have the TV rights on? That shit's going to get brushed away, guys. The forefront legacy media, we'll touch on it here and there when it's prominent, but they have an inherent interest to not bring this thing to the conversation of the public consistently because they're financially tied to this product still being the king. I agree. But I think the news is not being disseminated by those me- me- like those major media outlets anymore, right? Like If we look at today's news, it's, it's, it's all... I'll would say push through social media right like unless facebook media, yeah unless facebook you know uh yeah unless honestly facebook instagram which is stolen by facebook whatsapp owned by facebook if if the metaverse ends up actually accepting this or ends up if twitter's i think that whole point i think your argument completely makes sense if facebook and twitter get involved in this as well and they start jamming for a lot of the rights for you know which being able to stream happen. that which is gonna happen and i think that's when we can stop because i think we've gotten to the point where the dissemination of information is all through social media and if you can control that narrative then i think you control everything so until those guys get involved with it bro i i don't i don't see it because that's how information is still spreading currently so don't you think we're talking now diving into a little societal rabbit hole which i think ties to this i think it's pretty clear us as americans are willing to, if there's a certain level of entertainment or short-term pleasure, we're very willing to look past the negative consequences, be it in our diet, um, doing bad shit on the weekends, different financial actions we take. If it brings us instant gratitude, we fucking know it's not good, but we just ignore that because that little synapsis in my brain fired and enjoyed that little dopamine hit. I think it's the same thing for the NFL. We can know that it's very fucking bad, but when you're watching the game, the, the little joy you get out of that three hours and the hour after talking is instantly going to overweigh the reality of all the negative because that's just the way we are here. We if it's if it's fast food and it fucking entertains or it pleasures, we don't give a fuck about the consequences, and we really haven't for some time now. And I think that will tie into the NFL being able to constantly stay two steps ahead of the inevitable freight train that is, you know, the head issues and things like that. I agree. Wait, in 25 years, if fucking Rogers runs off a bridge or something like that, yeah, that's going to be something they're going to have to deal with, and it's going to be a big deal for a week. But they'll find a way to sort of sidestep around this thing. Yeah. Because guess what? Sunday night, the Bears and the fucking Patriots are on, and that's what everyone's going to be watching, and they'll forget about the CTE. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a very compelling argument because, like, I definitely see that there's more people that take it seriously than other people. And by seriously, I think it's more of the fact of it's something that would hinder them from playing more than anything else or participating in it. But I think that conversation is still going to be exacerbated more by people that, you know, look like me and you, that when we end up becoming, you know, our parents, for example, when they were our age, they didn't know what the fuck CTE was. Like, no. Right? Like, no, they don't know what the fuck it is. I mean, I'm foreign, right? My parents only knew fucking cricket. They don't know about football. But, I mean, if they did live here, they would they would know about it. But it's like, dude, we're in our 20s. When we're going to be in our 30s and 40s, we're going to be ingratiated knowing about CTE in our teens and 20s. And then God knows how much knowledge we have of it by the time we're 30 or 40 at this time, too. You know? So, I think that aspect is going to change a little bit, which I'm a little bit skeptical about. But... I don't I see. And that's the thing. I just I, I keep coming back to the conclusion of how long can the NFL keep duping the public? I don't mean duping the public, but like, you know, hiding behind all this negative cachet and still be able to come out on top because they've been doing a damn good job of it for the past 25, 30 years. And that's kind of where I'm trying to understand. More so you made a point. You made a point earlier about 
the negative cachet coming back to hurt them. Tanner, like you said, four years ago, you know, it was at its peak. The get woke, go broke, where there was constant, constant conversation and they were at the forefront of the spotlight in terms of being talked about in a negative way. What like what could exacerbate that? What could what more of a hit could the NFL take that would hurt them, right? So we we yeah. talked about like the Maury incident hurting the NBA. Give me a real life example of something societally that could come out about the NFL that would hurt them more than what's happened over the last four to eight years. I think we're going to see a lot more of this occur because of what we have now with social media and just the amount of, I guess, like people trying to find negatives in, in other people as well. But I think we saw this before, the whole Tyree Kill thing, the whole Kareem Hunt thing, right? Violence that you see being progressed by people. Do you think we're going to see more of it? I think we're going to see more of it easily. I think we're going to see more of it, dude. There's so many more people that are wanting... We already got a taste in the blood for how somebody felt of exposing some of these players. And rightfully, should, so they should expose somebody, like, you know, hitting a woman or doing something of that nature. What's it to say you're not going to see more of that? You're not going to see any other, you know, that occurring more. And then what's it to say, God forbid, but... There, the chance of somebody dying on an NFL field, I think, ends up increasing more and more. The fa- the more players I see being faster, stronger, and bigger, it's just it's gonna happen that somebody's gonna die on on the field, and that makes me want to think like, all right, if somebody sees something of that nature occurring on the field, combined with what I just mentioned as well with that. You know, is that not like a recipe for just some sort of implosion willing to occur at that point? I don't know. I, I think they, I think the NFL would do a good job marketing. You don't have to read all these fake HR recruiting stories. <laughs> Alrighty, fellas. So we we cut off. And now we're back here. I just want to understand a couple of things. So from your perspective, is the NFL incentivized to change at all with regards to how well they're doing financially and how well they've been doing from a viewership perspective? In y'all's opinion, no. I don't know what could hurt them. Like they, they've survived so much. If anything, in terms of change that they'll have to make, uh, they've already made changes in the way they market themselves on all these different platforms and the way it's become a year-round sport on media. And we talk about YouTube media and everything else as well. Um, I don't think they have to change their model. They're just going to expand on what they've already done. Yeah, they're going international next too. I mean, there will be a team in Mexico City and there will be a team in London within the next 10 years. Like, it's going to happen. They're going to go international. I don't see any reason to change. Why? You don't change when you're the top of the world, right? You just keep on, you double down, you triple down. You change when shit's not going good. But when things are going like they are, you don't change. Um, I'm with you, Vala. I'm trying to picture a scenario that can tangibly damage the NFL, like seriously damage them. We're like, whoa, this might not be the, the top line product for the next three or four years because of this. And I don't even think someone dying on the fucking field would do it as we just discussed. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think they just double down and keep going. That's fair. So to that perspective, then how long do you guys gauge? Like for how much longer does the NFL reign supreme on top of ratings in your opinion? Is there still an estimated time that, it's still indefinite for you guys. Like it's going to be going for the longest time, no matter what, not stopping. Or do you guys have like a certain time frame where you could think of and say, all right, this, this ship is going to sail at some point. I, I most certainly disagree with you on that five to 10 year window. I mean, just looking at the Super Bowl numbers relative to the other leagues championship numbers that we brought up in the beginning of the episode, man, indefinite. Uh, I can't see anything changing in the next 10 to 15 years. Even a, n- a new cohort of adults growing up and be, you know having their kids consume the product i just think it's too ingrained in every corner of the consumer market in life stages whether that's college whether that's you know the nfl sunday experience whether that's the week-long fantasy 
experience of prepping for the weekend, I don't see it changing in the next 20 years, man. I'm with you. The only thing that, to me, would make it lose its fastball is sort of what we talked about in the very beginning if the customer acquisition model started to fail at the very bottom level, which would be youth participation, which is one of the scenarios you brought out. That's the only thing I could think that would slow the momentum down. I don't know how that would occur. I don't see an event that causes that reaction. I just think it increases. It Look, the, the person... All backgrounds, all walks of life, all parts of the country, all watch football. It's the only major American sport I can say that universally all aspects of life that watch sports watch football. That's not the same for MLB, not the same for NBA. We both agree with that, or we all three do. I think it's continuing to get bigger. They are going to go international. They're going to expand their market in Mexico. Mexico is a natural fit for the NFL. It's a culturally would mm-hmm. grab onto that type of team, you know, community sensation. And I just think the, the it's like in the stock, the big get bigger, the Amazons, the Apples, the Microsofts, the oligarchs are going to get bigger. Well, the NFL is just going to continue to compound in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I, I can agree with with y'all from that perspective, at least from a short-term perspective, I see it compounding. Uh, I'm, I'm really keen to see how football wants to stay relevant in the long term. But till then, man, all I can say is kudos to the NFL, whoever's running that back end. You've essentially created a fucking machine that owns American society and owns the eyeballs that go to its society. And yeah, I mean, this is just fucking amazing to think of, man. Hey, 2022 Super Bowl, who you got? I got the Packers. Wow. Nabil? Buccaneers. Cowboys, baby. Oh, Cowboys. <laughs> How much of that Who's the AFC team? Um, he wants to do it. He just said Mac Jones it. only threw three times. Uh, beat the Bills. the Patriots just won a primetime football game, throwing the ball three times. <laughs> I... <laughs> oh, goodness. Time is a flat circle. Patriots, Cowboys, let's go. Oh God! Oh fuck! Oh, that's oh, gosh. you want to make me not a football fan? Oh, done. There you go. No, it's you gonna it's gonna be the Chiefs. I, even though they've struggled, I think that that offense will get back to. Did they to get in the group. playoffs? Yeah, what? I got the Chiefs Packers as well. I think the Chiefs just figure it out, and it's the Chiefs Packers, and they end up winning it. Oh, fucking football! Oh man, you gotta that, love it. Yeah, that would be a dream matchup as well for them. They would love to see a Mahomes Rogers. Oh my god! Oh no, dude, dream matchup is pa- Patriots Buccaneers. Where are y'all at, fellas? The oh, NFL course, wants to push course. one thing. But do you think there, there's also a level of hate, almost like Golden State Warriors esque with the Patriots? Just hundred percent. And that actually drives hate. Yeah. Is a good thing. That's what yeah, I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, you gotta right. hate. You're right. I, I submit that point is correct. I'm, I'm excited. Regardless, Super Bowl season is gonna be fun. You know, we'll be back with Tanner for a Super Bowl podcast as well, bro. So Tanner, thank you like always for hopping on my G. Always fun, dude. And we look forward to having you back, man. Yeah, y'all are fucking awesome to talk ball with. Great conversation as always, boys. Awesome. With that, bye. bye.